The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Matthew 21 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Now this was the prophet Zechariah. That we'll read later on, this passage from Zechariah 9.9. We'll read it later on, but... But uh, Jesus was doing this to fulfill that which was spoken in the Old Testament by the prophet Zechariah saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road others cut down branches the apostle john describes them as palm branches and that's why we call today palm sunday because they laid palm branches on the road from the trees and spread them on the road then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Do you know what I find fascinating about Palm Sunday? is that all along, if someone had discovered that he was the Messiah, Jesus would say, shh, don't tell anybody, shh, don't tell anybody, shh, don't tell anybody. But on this particular day, it was like this was the revelation of the Messiah. This was the inauguration of the Messiah. Palm Sunday was the celebration. And you know what? It was impossible to orchestrate something like that. It's impossible to get a crowd to bow down, especially a crowd of very strict Jewish people to affirm that this was in fact the Messiah. The people on that day acknowledged and celebrated that in fact the Messiah had come. And they acknowledged it by throwing their clothes on the ground, palm branches on the crowd, doing, as Chris was saying, creating the red carpet. That was their interpretation of the red carpet. And you say, but, 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 but why on a donkey of all animals? Well, let me tell you why. Because according to Eastern culture, if a king came to a city to wage war on that city, he would come riding on a horse. But if a king came to a city to declare peace upon a city, he would come riding on a donkey. 
And Jesus, on that day, as the Prince of Peace, did not come riding on a white horse, but he came riding on a little donkey, the Prince of Peace, declaring that God had come to make peace with humanity. What an incredible message that in itself is. And the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Now, now, what does Hosanna mean? Now, I know that one of the children will put up their hand and say Jesus. <laughs> because the answer is always Jesus. doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is Jesus. But in actual fact, Hosanna literally means in the Hebrew, save us, please. Save us now. And so, in actual fact, what they were doing was singing a song from Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26, that expresses their very, it's, it's what they were doing was singing this song from Psalm 118, and they were using the phrase that Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26 says, save us please, save us now, Hosanna, Hosanna, they declared that the Messiah was the Savior. They called him son of David, which was a term reserved only for the coming Messiah. They knew that the Messiah had to come from the lineage of David. And so that phrase, son of David, that was used over a dozen times through the Gospels was reference to his Messiahship. They acknowledged that he'd come in the name of the Lord and that he was a prophet sent from God. Let me tell you, on that day, the crowd, the multitudes, the people acknowledged that the Messiah had arrived in Jerusalem. I want to talk to you about two amazing prophecies that was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. The first one is that the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, coming, riding on a donkey. Just that in itself is an amazing prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And so the first prophecy that I want to draw your attention to is the way that the Messiah would arrive in Jerusalem on a donkey. The second prophecy I want to draw your attention to actually predicted when Jesus would arrive in Jerusalem. Can you believe it? That there's a scripture in the book of Daniel that actually predicted the date of the arrival of the Messiah. You say, are you kidding me? Come on, everybody say, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And what we find in this scripture in Daniel 9, 25, is actually Daniel stating the date that the Messiah would arrive. Get hold of this scripture in Matthew, in, in Daniel 9, 25. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince. How many of you know who Messiah the Prince is? Come on, everybody knows the answer here, sitting right here. Who's Messiah the Prince? 
got it. Absolutely. Give them a big applause. They got that one right. Jesus. <laughs> Messiah the Prince. And so it goes on and it says, from, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. You say, what does that mean? I'm so glad you asked that question because let me give you some insight into prophecy in the Old Testament because this is sort of shrouded in, 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 a, in a little bit of, you've got to understand how prophecy works. So there is a starting point to the clock. And the starting point to the clock is when a particular command is issued. And you've got to understand that when Daniel wrote this, they were in exile. So Nebuchadnezzar had come in 586 and destroyed um, Jerusalem, taken people into captivity. The walls were decimated. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was an absolute mess. And it had been a mess like that throughout the years of Daniel. And Daniel was, was agitated because he'd read in the prophet Jeremiah that there would be a 70-year period that the children of Israel would be in exile and then God would do something. And so he's praying, saying, God, the 70 years are up. Show me something. We've been in exile for 70 years. And then all this prophecy came through, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And so the angel of God says to Daniel, listen, understand this that the time clock starts ticking when a command is issued to rebuild Jerusalem and specifically the walls of Jerusalem. How many of you have read your Bible and know when this actually took place? Not just the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but specifically the walls. How many of you have read the book of Nehemiah when Nehemiah is in captivity in Persia, and King Artaxerxes, that's a bit of a tongue twist there, he issues a command in the days of Nehemiah. You can read this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, where he issues four things. You remember, remember the Nehemiah story where he was sad, and, and the king says, I've never seen you sad like this. What's going on? And he says, how can I be happy when my city lays in destruction, my city of Jerusalem? And then the king says, well, what do you want me to do? He says, please, if you can, send me and I'll go. And Artaxerxes says, okay, go and rebuild your city. I will send you. Do you know when that took place? That took place in the month of Nisan. It's an interesting, you say, well, what's the month of Nisan? Well, it's around about March, April. It's the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And you've got to understand as well that in those days, the calendar was not solar years, but lunar years. So how many of you know that we have 365 and a quarter days in our year? And it's because it takes that long for the, not the sun to revolve around the earth. We got that one sorted out quite a few years ago. It takes that long for the earth to revolve around the sun. But in those days, they didn't have solar years. They had lunar years. And so every month was 30 days. And so their year was only 360 days. So I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to work this one out in a moment. So the time clock starts in the year 445 BC. Have we got that? 445 BC. 
And so then the prophecy is this. There'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Who can add up seven and 62? Who can tell me what seven and 62 equals? Who can tell me seven plus 62 equals? 69, top of the class. I thought he was going to say Jesus there for a second. (laughs) But it was 69. Now, Understand this, that the word weeks in this prophecy, when you look into the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is not weeks. It's a Hebrew word, Shabua, which means seven. It's actually seven periods of time. And so what Daniel is saying what, is that there are 69 times seven. Periods of time. How many of you know what 69 times 7 comes to? Very good. My goodness. How did you know that? Just so quick. (laughs) So clever. You guys are so clever. And as I said before, that this refers to lunar years. And how many days are there in a lunar year? Who can tell me that? 360. So let's multiply then 483 by 360. You can tell me the answer. What is 483 times 360? There you go. Someone got it right. They put it on the board already. Okay. So you say, well, why do we have to work that out? Because what we're trying to do is to work it out in solar years because we now live in solar years. So the way to work this out is divide because Even in those days, a day was still a day. A day is how long it takes for the earth to revolve, to go around. That's a day. It's the same, about 24 hours. So let's divide 173 by 880. Let's divide 173,880 by 365 and a quarter. Who can tell me the answer to that question? comes to 476. So now this prophecy basically says something will happen 476 solar years from now. Matter of fact, Messiah the Prince. So if those of you you can do your maths, do 445 BC and then add 476 and guess what number you come up to. The answer is not Jesus. (laughs) It's 31 AD. So, here it is. Who came riding on a donkey in Jerusalem approximately around the year 31 AD? Who can tell me the answer to that? You got to give the kids a great hand of applause. You guys are awesome. Jesus. Here's these two prophecies merging together. Could there be anybody else that was the Messiah? How can you orchestrate something like that? How can you bring it together without God being the architect of it all? So if Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Son of God who was sent from God to give us a message, what is this amazing message that he came to give us? Because it's so important for us today to understand why he came. And here it is. 
I'll tell it to you so quickly, so briefly, so importantly. It was declared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel appeared to Joseph and said, Mary, your wife is going to bear a child. And then the angel said, you shall call his name. Very good. Because he will save his people from their sins. Everybody say sins. You know what my concern is today? My concern is that the system that we live, that we live in, postmodernism, has removed the concept of sin. And so we, we live in an age and in an environment where we are now too intelligent for sin. We are too advanced for sin. And, and what is sin? When there are no absolutes, what is sin? Well, sin is what you believe it to be, as is God, who you believe he or she to be. Now, isn't it fascinating that they can get offended by lots of stuff that we say, but under no circumstances can we be offended at them directing their question marks about our God, our Savior, our Creator. That's because there's been a sin consciousness removed. And I want to say to you, if sin consciousness is removed, then there's no need for a Savior. There's no need for Jesus. There's no need to have sins forgiven if you don't believe that you're a sinner. But let me just say to the postmodernists that you are in the minority. Because the majority of the people on this planet have still got a sin consciousness. And as much as you talk about the fact that they are immature, as much as you talk about the fact that they're uneducated, and if you get educated enough, you can remove sin consciousness from mankind, there is someone called the Holy Spirit that lives inside and is there to convict the world of sin and when we are under conviction of sin there's a savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he came to this world to save his people from their sin where do you hear that sort of preaching these days where do you hear that sort of preaching these days you know what's sad is that this sort of preaching has almost become old-fashioned and relegated to the fire and brimstone preachers of days gone by. When, my friends, this is Bible. This is the New Testament. This is the reason why Jesus came to save his people from their sin. Let, let, let me summarize the gospel message very quickly for you. It starts with this. The awareness of sin. And can I say to you that the awareness of sin is good? You know what it's like? It's like the awareness of pain. Is there anybody here that loves pain? I'd love to know. No, the answer is Jesus, not that. Okay. And I mean, none of us love pain. But you know what? You've got to be appreciative. For the ability of feeling pain. Because the reason why if you burn yourself, you immediately withdraw from the burn is because you feel pain. Imagine if you felt no pain and you just put your hand on a stove. It's red hot. Wow, someone's put on a barbecue. Wow, boy, that's, 
And you've got no idea that your hand is burning. See, pain causes you to withdraw and protects you. Consciousness of sin needs to do exactly that. Create something within you that causes a reaction. It says, I need to withdraw from that. Awareness of sin is good. And so I will not be intimidated by those that say that my preaching is old-fashioned and it's fire and brimstone. Why is that? Because I feel it is good to put within people an awareness of sin. Second thing about the gospel message that's really important is humility. Humility is really good. Everybody say humility is good. Because I don't believe that a person can really accept the things of God without humbling themselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. There's something powerful about being humility. The Bible says that God resists the pride but gives grace to the humble. And you know what? If we're filled with pride and arrogance, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good, if there is a God, whoever he or she is, I find that incredibly offensive, but we won't go there. If there is a God, then because I've done enough good things, of course he's going to accept me. Of course. And you've worked God out. You know who God is. You've worked it all out. Let me ask you a question. How many good things do you have to do to counteract one sin? Two, three, four, five, six, a hundred, two hundred? And and how do you know the answer to that question? Well, you don't. So if you want to know the answer to the question, who do you go to? Well, you go to the Creator. You go to the one who determines what sin is and what sin isn't. And you ask him. And you know what he says? He says, you can gain the whole world and you can try to put it on an altar, but it won't remove one sin. What is the value of man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul is what Jesus is saying. And the interpretation to that is you cannot exchange any goodness to counteract one sin. And so this is where the gospel is so powerful because God in his love and his mercy, he paid the price, he paid the penalty for your sins. So it's not about what you do, it's about what he's done. And that's the power of the gospel. It's not through works that you're saved, lest any man should boast. It's by grace and grace alone. He paid the penalty. And that's what Easter is all about for us. Jesus came to die upon the cross on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But it needs humility to acknowledge that. Let me tell you the third thing that's good. That's this word repentance. Oh, I love repentance. Again, where do you hear messages like this? Repentance. It's like, hey, you want to receive God? Well, just receive God. No. First you repent. Then you receive. What's repentance? Repentance is acknowledging that we can't do anything in our own strength. Repentance comes after humility. 
And repentance is, God, I've offended you. God, I've done wrong. God, I have sinned. And I'm incredibly sorry, so sorry that I want to turn away from my sin and follow after you. Without that basis, there can't be salvation. Without that basis, you can never become a strong disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the basis of repentance, you'll always be a worldly Christian. You say, what? I really believe that worldly Christians are based on people not fully repenting and not fully having a revelation of how offensive sin is to God. And you know what? Preachers are to blame for that. Because we don't open up the scriptures and give people an understanding that sin is offensive to God. That God is offended by our sin. And that's why he paid such a huge price by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross. A price was paid, which is an enormous price, showing God's repulsiveness towards sin. And the only way that it could be removed is through the death of Jesus. Let me tell you the fourth thing that's good, and that's faith. Faith is good. Here it is. Faith. And what's faith? Faith is this simple thing that believes. It accepts. Faith is this simple thing that says, Jesus, you died upon the cross. I believe that. Jesus, you rose from the dead. I believe that. Jesus, you gave your all for me. I believe that. I receive that. And today, I open my heart to you. I open my life to you so that you can come in and transform me. Come in to my life, Lord Jesus. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. I want to be transformed where my passions are no longer for the things of this world, but the, the things of another world, the things of a heavenly world. And that faith, my friends, that faith in the finished work of the cross, the finished work of Jesus, is the basis of salvation. When that faith happens, the Bible tells us that an angel writes your name in the book of life. How awesome is that? You say, what's the book of life? That's the registry book in heaven. Nobody can get into heaven if they don't have their name in the book of life. And so one day we're all going to stand at that gate. And there's all sorts of jokes about what's going to happen when you stand at the gate and what words you need to spell and what words you can't spell and whatever. But the fact is that there's a book at that gate. And the book's going to be opened. And we're going to look for your name. And if your name's in the book, you're in. If your name's not in the book, you're out. You can't argue. You can't pay. You can't make any difference then the difference is made now how many of you want to know what you need to do to get your name written in that book and have your sins forgiven it's as simple as abc children i'm on the finish line i want you all to listen to this so you okay okay children just listen to this this is pastor john just in two minutes going to share the gospel with you and the gospel is as simple as a b c a b c of the gospel. First thing you've got to do is A, admit that you've made mistakes. Come on, let's try it together. If you've made a mistake anywhere, anytime, I want you to lift up your hand right now. 
Have you made a mistake sometime? You have. I can lift both hands, and if I could lift both feet, I'd lift both feet. I've made lots of mistakes. That's the beginning, admitting. And that's humility. Okay. B, here's B. What's B for? B is for believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus died upon the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that everything he said and did was true. How many of you believe that Jesus died upon the cross and on the third day rose from the dead? Do you believe that? Just lift up your hand. That's awesome. Okay, A is for admit, B is for believe. What's C for? Here it is. C is for confession. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And you can't confess that in your head. You've got to confess it in your heart. Because if you confess it in your heart, it will change the way that you do life. Because when you confess in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're not going to follow other gods. You're not going to follow other passions. You're only going to follow him. And so then at that point, your life becomes directed at following Jesus. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I'm following you. Confession. Following him. A, admit. B, believe. C, confess. Does it get any simpler than that? It's as simple as that. And if you do that from the depths of your heart, admit that you've sinned, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess Him as Savior and Lord, the Bible says, you will be saved. And at that point, your name gets written in the book of life, and you are eligible to live in heaven with God forever and ever. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 